Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know God wrote it, but we're not given the author. And this is God the Holy Spirit's comment on Abraham offering his own son. Abraham could well be said to be the most significant man other than the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. Uh, Children of God are called the children of Abraham. He's called the father of the faithful. And he is most well known, I believe, by the world for this story of him offering up his own son. Hebrews chapter 11. I've entitled this message, Faith, Knowledge, and Works. Faith, Knowledge, and Works. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. Now we're going to get into Genesis 22 uh, momentarily But before us is what I believe to be the um, most simple illustration of the gospel in the Old Testament. We learn best by illustration. And we also have the most simple definition of faith in all the gospels. Now that's exciting, isn't it? To have the gospel brought to us in this story and to understand something about what faith is. This is the story of Abraham offering up Isaac to God as a burnt offering in obedience to God's command. Now somebody might think, what kind of God would make a command like that in the first place? To offer up your son? You've thought that. I've thought that. And when we think things like that, we're sitting in judgment on God. And that is not a good place to be. I don't want to sit in judgment on God. He's revealed himself in this word, the inspired, infallible word of God. And I want to bow to what he says, whether I understand it or not. God commanded Abraham to offer up his only son as a burnt offering to him. And if God commanded it, 
It's the right thing to do. We trust him implicitly. What he says is right. I love what David said. I esteem all thy precepts in all things to be right. And I hate every false way. Now, notice in verse 17, it says, by faith. Abraham. You read Hebrews chapter 11. How many of these verses start with by faith? By faith, Abraham. This was an act of faith. And it was not blind faith. It was based upon what God said to him. Uh, Faith is not blind. Faith is not a blind leap into the dark. Faith is believing what God has said in his word. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, his only begotten son, and he that had received the promises. You see, this is, he'd already been given something. God gave him some promises, and he believed them. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead. Now, that word accounting, it's the same word that's generally translated imputing. Imputing. And if you want to understand what the Bible means by this word imputation, uh, you can get some light in it from this passage of Scripture. It's the same Scripture where... Abraham uh, had righteousness imputed to him by God. It's the same word. Uh, Quite often when religious people uh, think of God imputing something, they say, well, you're sinful, but he imputes righteousness to you. And he counts you righteous. Now, what would we think of a judge who had a guilty person stand before him and said, well, I'm a loving judge and a forgiving judge. I'm going to count you righteous. You know what we do? We'd get rid of that judge, wouldn't we? He would be unjust. He would be dishonest. When God imputes righteousness to somebody, it's because they are, in fact, righteous. That's why he imputes righteousness to them. And that's what the Lord Jesus accomplished on Calvary's tree. He actually made my sin to not me, and he made me righteous. When God imputes righteousness to me, Righteousness to me, he imputes righteousness to me because I am in fact righteous, truly. He made me righteous. If I'm a believer, God doesn't treat me as if I were righteous. I am altogether righteous, having the righteousness and merits of Jesus Christ as my personal righteousness before God. I love this word, imputing, accounting. Accounting that God, imputing that God, he believed God as he is revealed in his word. He believed God's promise. He believed God was unable to lie. Whatever he said must take place. He believed that. You know why he believed? Because he knew God. If you know God, you'll believe God. He knew God. God revealed himself to him. He knew him. And because of that, he believed he would keep his promise. He cannot lie. 
And he believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. Now, when we believe God, we believe he can do what no man can do. Think of how helpless you would be if somebody died. You couldn't say, Get, rise from the dead. God can. He does. He gives dead sinners life. He gave his son life. And Abraham believed that God was able to raise him up from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What that means is when Abraham heard God say, kill my son, kill your son, he already did it in his mind. And when he was uh, given that substitute ram, he received him from the dead. He was already dead in his mind. And when he found out about that substitute ram, he knew it would be. Faith and knowledge and works. They all go together. If you know God, you believe God. Your works will prove you believe God. Now, I'm not talking about you look at your good works and think, well, I must be a, a saved. That's not what that is saying at all. People mess up James chapter 2 so bad, justified by faith and works, and they have no idea as to what it meant. What proved Abraham believed God? When he offered up his son. What if he would have said, I can't do that. If I do that, that'll mess up God's purpose. That'll mess up God's uh, promise. And God's promise won't take place if I kill it. All he would prove by that is he didn't really believe God. But he believed God. He believed that God was able to raise his son up from the dead. We're going to see that so clearly in this passage of Scripture. Because Abraham knew God. He knew he would be true to his word. He knew he had promised, the promised seed would come through Isaac. That's what God had promised. And when, he, when God said, kill your son, he knew God would raise him from the dead. Look what verse 19 says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, before we get into Genesis 22, I'd like you to turn to James chapter 2. Would you turn with me there? James chapter 2. Verse 14, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, is that talking about salvations by faith and works? No. No. But what is it saying? Let's go on reading. If a brother or sister be naked, and destitute of daily food. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace. Be ye warm and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? I think that's such a poignant example. Somebody comes on into my uh, front porch, knocks on the door. They're cold. They're hungry. And I say to them, Be filled. Be warm. And then I close the door in their face. What does that mean? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone. Just like when I said be warmed and filled, it's dead when I close the door in his face, isn't it? 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? What proved Abraham really believed God? He offered up his son. He knew that God would raise him from the dead. Now, if he would have said, I can't do that, that'll mess up God's purpose. All he would be proving by that is he didn't believe the character of God. He didn't believe in the truthfulness of God. He thought God would have to have his help. Go back into Genesis 16. I'm not asking you to turn there, but let me tell you the story. God had already made this promise. The promise is going to come through your seed. They've been waiting for 20-some years, and Sarah comes up with an idea. Obviously, The Lord is not going to do this through me, even though he promised he would. But we need to to make sure we do what we need to do for his promise to come to pass. Here's Hagar. This is the way God will answer his promise. We need to help him out. His promise won't help out and won't come to pass unless we do our part. Here's Hagar. Go into her. Abraham did. We have Ishmael. Ishmael's never acknowledged as a son. Ishmael, as a matter of fact, represents the law. Man doing his part. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 4. He represents, Hagar represents Mount Sinai. Man doing his part. If any aspect of my salvation is dependent upon me doing my part, then salvation is by works and I will not be saved. That's the truth. Now would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1. And it came to pass after these things. What things? Everything Abraham had experienced up to this point. Abraham was an old man at this time. And this is when he's going to be faced with his greatest trial. After these things that God did tempt Abraham. God's the one who did this. He's putting him to the test. And my dear friend, you and I are going to be put to the test. Not for God's information. He already knows. But for our information, we will be put to the test. God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and you know, I bet Abraham winced when he heard his name called out. Every time God said Abraham, something very severe was getting ready to take place. A great trial was getting ready to take place. And I bet when he heard his voice, he tightened up. What 
what now? What now? And he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Now, what a trial. Take now your son, your only son. I want us to notice that Ishmael is not recognized as a son by God. He says, with regard to Isaac, take now your son, your only son. Now, remember, Ishmael represents the law. That's what Galatians chapter 4 tells us. Hagar represents the law. And let me tell you two things the law can never do. Number one, the law can never produce a son. Only grace can. And number two, the law can never produce love. If you're under law, you'll never love God. You'll resent Him. You'll be scared of Him. But you can never do anything out of love unless your debt is completely put away and God completely accepts you for Christ's sake. And you see that, you'll never love Him. You'll just secretly resent Him. The law can never produce a son and the law can never produce or cause love. Take now your son, Isaac. Ishmael's not acknowledged as his son. Your only son, whom thou lovest. And get thee into the land of Moriah. Do you know that the temple was built on this mountain? Jerusalem had not yet come into existence the way it would. This is where the temple would be built, where Abraham offered up his only son. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now involved in this was killing, quartering, and burning his son. Put yourself in his position. Your only child that you love, slit in their throat, letting the blood run out, cutting them up, and setting them on fire. Somebody says, I could never do that. You could if God gave you the grace to. Only if God gave you the grace to. You couldn't do it. Now, someone is thinking, I just don't know even if God gave me the grace to if I could do that. Well, if you knew God would raise him from the dead. Look in verse 5. We'll get back there in a minute. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And what next? 
and come again to you. He knew that after he killed his son, God would raise him from the dead. Abraham had the knowledge of God that always accompanies faith. He knew God would be true to his word. He knew God would raise the Messiah up through Isaac. God had promised that. God cannot lie. And he knew God had the ability to raise his son from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Abraham did. Verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. This wasn't uh, delayed obedience. I can see where Abraham would maybe get up late to hope something would happen where things would change. But no, he rose up early in the morning in obedience to what God said. He rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. You see, in Abraham's mind, the deed had already been done. As soon as God said, offer up your son, in his mind, it was done. And I think the three days refers to the resurrection of Christ after three days. But in his mind, he'd already offered him up. Three days later, he was going to be raised from the dead. Then on the third day, verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, can you imagine the pain that must have been in Abraham's heart when he saw that place, he was going to put his son to death. What pain he must have felt and experienced. The third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. You know something I've feel quite sure. Abraham never told Sarah about what he's going to do. (laughs) Verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, these two young servants, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. You stay here. I and I, me and Isaac, we're going to go up the mountain and Worship. Now, why did he leave these young men behind? I can think of two reasons. Number one, because he knew they'd try to prevent it. If they saw him getting ready to kill Isaac, they would have done everything they could to stop that from happening. And who would blame them? He would think, this guy's crazy. What's he doing? God didn't tell him that. They wouldn't believe him. And this is also something that it involved Abraham and Isaac only. The cross was a transaction between the Father and the Son. That's why God turned the lights out so that nobody could really see what was going on. This was a transaction between the Father and the Son. Man was shut out 
That's why darkness covered the earth while Christ was hanging on the cross. The whole earth was covered with darkness as God poured his wrath out upon his son, as as the Son of God was actually bearing the sins of his people and made sin while he was still alive, experiencing all that. Men, you'll never understand that. We can't see it. We believe, but we can't understand the glorious, great transaction between the Father and the Son to glorify himself and to save his people from their sins. But notice this. Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Worship. Now here is worship. If you want to know what worship is, here it is. It's not some vague concept. Now I've heard people say, Abraham's act of obedience was worship. The worship is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you worship God, here's worship. You look to Christ and His sacrifice only. Anything else is disrespect to God is dishonoring to God. The only way we worship is to look to Christ and His sacrifice only. Now that is why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is everything in God's salvation. Paul said, I'm not going to preach anything else. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, if we confined our preaching to nothing but the cross, it would be a widening rather than a narrowing of our ministry. He worshiped. By looking to the sacrifice. That's what worship is. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Sacrifice. And come again to you. He knew that they would return. Isn't that amazing? He had no doubt that they would return because he believed God. He believed God could not lie. God had promised the Messiah, the Savior, is going to come through Isaac. He knew he would because God said it. Isn't that what faith is? It's knowing who he is. Listen real carefully. Faith is knowing who he is, believing what he says, and trusting what he's done. That is faith. Faith isn't knowing you're saved. That's what most people think. Well, I know I'm saved. Now just forget about you for just a moment. Forget about what, do you know who he is? He's the son of God. He's the creator. He's the sovereign of the universe. You, and because you know who he is, you believe what he said. He's incapable of lying. And you trust what he has done only. 
That's, that, that's everything in your salvation. Abraham believed God. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And you remember sometime, another time when someone carried the wood of their own execution up a mountain. This typifies the Lord Jesus Christ bearing the wood that was to be used for his own execution up Calvary's mountain. Verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father. Now, he had not yet told him what he was going to do. And Isaac had been instructed There's no way God can be approached apart from a lamb being slain, which points to the coming lamb of God. You can be sure he explained that to him. And so Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and I'm sure there was a lot of pain with Abraham just when he heard that. My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You know, this question should be asked with regard to every message we hear and every song we sing. Where is the lamb? If the lamb's not there, the truth's not there. The gospel's not there. Where is the lamb? And I'm sure that cut through his very heart when he said that to his father. Can you imagine how Abraham felt? Where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. They had the wood. They had the fire, but they didn't have the lamb. And you know, in preaching, you can have the wood of, of, I guess, doctrine. You can have the fire and heat and enthusiasm and still not have the lamb. Where's the lamb? That's that's the one issue. Where is the lamb? Verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. For a burnt offering. My son. God will provide. Himself. A lamb. For a burnt offering. Here is. The gospel. There's nothing me or you could provide. To God that he would accept. There's not one thing. You or I can bring to the table. Not one. God couldn't accept it. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. You're going to say you could bring something that came from you as defiled as you are, as defiled as I am, and God could accept it? No, but here's the gospel. God provides what he requires. Not you. Aren't you thankful? God provides 
what he requires. God will provide for himself. Now for God to do something for me or you, he has to first do something for himself. You see, his character is not going to be violated. His justice is not going to be violated. His attributes are not going to be violated. He's not going to do something that calls into question his perfect righteousness and his justice. So for him to do something for me, he had to first do something for himself. You see, the blood is not so much for you, it's for God. For God to be able to accept you, the Lamb of God's going to have to die for you. And he's the one who gives the Lamb. And listen to this. God himself is the lamb that God provides. The lamb of God is God the lamb. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now he didn't yet tell Isaac that I'm going to kill you. But he did say this. God will provide the lamb. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place, verse 9, which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, And laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now Isaac was a young man. Abraham was an old man. And I have no doubt that Isaac could have overcome his father. And prevented this from happening. But his father said to him. Isaac, God told me to do this. It must be done. And God is going to raise you from the dead. After it's done. So even as I'm getting ready to kill you. And you see the knife going up to plunge through you. Know this. I'm doing this in obedience to God. And God has promised. He would raise you from the dead. And you know Abraham believed what his father said. I have no doubt. That Abraham let his father bind him. Let his father put him on that altar and he knew what was going to happen which speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ willingly laying his life down for his people for the glory of his father and for the salvation of his people. He said, no man takes my life from me. I'm not a victim. I love it when they came to arrest the Lord. He said, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they fell backward. The Lord's letting them know, I'm in control of this. You're only doing my will. Don't think I'm a victim. I'm in control of all of this. And the Lord Jesus Christ was in control of everything when this was taking place. But he willingly did this. He willingly laid down in his life. He said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. This commandment have I received of my father. So I love to think of Isaac willingly letting his father time up. And there he is laying on the altar of the wood put in order by Abraham. And you think of Abraham 
lifting up his knife to slay his son. Look in verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his knife and took the knife to slay his son. Oh, the pain he must have felt. Do you think it was easy for God to slay his son? I don't understand that. It was the Lord who said through the pen of Job, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, called unto him out of heaven. And said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him. For now I knowest that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son from me. Now. What is the fear of God? You fear God. You fear God when you're afraid to look anywhere but Christ alone. That's the fear of God. You're afraid to look anywhere but Christ alone. His sacrifice alone. That's the fear of God. If you would come into God's presence in something other than Christ only, you don't have any fear of God. You don't have any respect for God. You dishonor God. And God doesn't respect you if you come some other way than Christ. But I love the way the scripture speaks of Abel. It says uh, God had respect unto Abel and his offering. You come into God's presence only through the blood of Christ. You can't be separated from the offering. God had respect to Abel and his offering. And he had respect to Abraham and his offering. And if I come into God's presence only through Christ, he has respect to me. That's incredible to think about, isn't it? God respecting you through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer possesses that. And this is the way Abraham came. He said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to me, for now I know thou fearest God. That, that is such a, uh, the fear of God. The fear of God is faith in Christ. Same thing. Same thing. The person who fears God is the person who looks to Christ only. And that's what Abraham did. Verse 13. And Abraham Lifted up his eyes. Isn't faith looking to Christ? Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. Look unto me. What were the children of Israel called upon to do with that brazen serpent? Look. 
Look. Not do. Not work. Look. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Abraham looked. He looked. And behold behind him. Behind him. A ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now, somehow in God's providence, uh, I guess this ram over on the other side of the mountain got out of his pen. He must have already been there. Abraham didn't see him. But he looked behind him. He looked behind him. This is very significant. Salvation is behind you. It's already done. It's not something out here for you to do. Quit thinking that way. It's not something for you to do. It's already been done. It was behind him, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Behind him. And the fact that this lamb was caught in a thicket by his horns, that prefigures the thorny crown of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lamb caught in the thicket by his horns. The ram. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram. Here's substitution. Here's substitution. The only way you and I can be saved is by Christ being my substitute and taking my place. He took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. There was a missionary. I don't know where it was, but he was trying to see if the people understood what he was saying to them. And he was, it was a different language. I don't know how, I don't even know what language it was, but this is true. He asked one of the people he'd been trying to preach to, he said, do you understand what I'm saying? And he replied this, he die or me die. He died, me no die. The simplicity of the gospel. He took my place. You see, I deserve to be damned eternally by my sin. And it's all my fault. I hope you believe that. If you've never believed it before, believe it now. You deserve to go to hell. I deserve. To go to hell and be eternally separated from God. Jesus Christ willingly took my place. He bore my sin. Listen to the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin. What all that means, I don't know. But somehow God has the authority. 
and the power and the ability to take my sin away from me and give it to His Son so that His Son is guilty of sin. The, the sins that I've committed, they become His. And God poured His wrath. He bore the full equivalent of hell. And because He did that, He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He never sinned that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. As it said to this day in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be seen. The Lord will see to it. The Lord will provide. What that means. The Lord provides. The Lord provides. Now I want to close by looking at a passage in John chapter 8. Verse 52. John chapter 8 verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he's your God. Yet you've not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like you are. But I know him. And keep his saying, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now how many times did the Lord refer to my hour and my time and my day? I have no doubt that the Lord is referring to this of which we've just read. He rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, as thou seen Abraham? And he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up the stones to cast at him. Now Abraham rejoiced to see this day. You know somebody else who rejoiced? Isaac. Isaac. I can love to think of them going down that mountain. I bet they were floating down in joy at the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the gospel.